What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We are super excited because today's episode is sponsored by BarkBox. As most of you guys know, my dog Mackie loves his chew toys, but they do not last very long in our house. And that's why we love our subscription service, BarkBox. BarkBox is a monthly subscription box that offers an array of theme boxes for your pup. Inside your box, you'll find toys, treats, and unleashed joy, thoughtfully designed to satisfy every dog's unique playstyle. BarkBox has several boxes to choose from, depending on your dog's needs, such as the Super Chewer box, which was designed to challenge and engage your pup for longer-lasting play. And that's what we need for Mackie. <laughs> right now, you can get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is up to a $35 value, by using our link, www.barkbox.com inhumanpod. So treat your dog to what they love with BarkBox www.barkbox.com slash inhuman pod for a extra free month of BarkBox. What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Right, so I don't really know if there's too much going on. I do want to let you guys know that we did release a bonus episode last Friday covering Lauren Smith-Fields, a case that's currently happening. So if you guys haven't listened to that, go check it out because it's a really important one to both of us. We're both like yeah, so upset over it and um, and we'd love for you guys to listen to that and share it if you can because... We want to get the information out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that's really all the updates. And um, this is going to be probably a longer case. So I think we'll just dive in. Yeah, it's a doozy. So strap in, guys. Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you guys from now, this is going to be a two-parter because I really wanted to dive deep into it. And so it will be a two-parter. The second part will be out on Thursday. So you guys will, you don't have to wait that long for it. And I think it'll be worth it because there's a lot to deep dive on this. Yeah, this case is is a crazy one. There's so many details and just theories and just crazy stuff. Yeah, so I've finally done it. I've mentioned this before. (laughs) I finally dove deep down this rabbit hole. And today I am covering Israel Keys. So he is, to me, the most intriguing serial killer because... 
the way that they just had no clue about him until he was captured. There was no rhyme or reason. There was just nothing. He didn't have, like, your typical set of, like, MO yeah. type stuff. Yeah. he's He was so random. Or maybe he did and we haven't uncovered it because our brains are not that Very up. true. His brain <laughs> freaks me out. And just the yeah. fact that he, like... Well, you guys will see. But like I said, this is going to be a two-parter. Today, I'm going to be covering like the background and how he got caught. And then on Thursday, I'm going to be diving into all the theories. And I'm also going to dive into some of the suspected murders. There are some murders out there that are unsolved or disappearances that are unsolved that people suspect that Israel Keys could have been the killer. And we just don't know. And one of those includes Lauren Spearer who we covered her a couple months ago. And so I'm going to uh, to deep dive into all of those because it's so fascinating to me. All right. So Israel Keys was born on January 7th, 1978 to Heidi and John Jeffrey Keys. And he had a large family. They were a Mormon family and he had nine siblings. Wow. So he was the second sibling and he was the oldest son. And they were all homeschooled by their mother, and they were living in Cove, Utah. When Israel was five, the family actually decided to reject Mormonism. Like, they, I don't know why, but they decided to leave that That's church. Interesting. I know, I thought so too. But whatever, for whatever reason, they did, and they moved to Washington State. So they were living now in Colville, Washington, and they were living in a one-room cabin It was really tiny. It didn't have electricity. It didn't have running water. So that's 12 people living in this (laughs) tiny cabin. That's crazy. So they kind of went like backwards even more. Like, wow. Yep. And the family definitely was living in poverty. They didn't have a lot of money. Obviously, they were living in this tiny cabin. Yeah. Um, But that definitely can't be the most uh, conducive upbringing to... To you know, produce a successful human, but no. also there were nine other children that lived in that and did not turn out to be horrible people. So yeah, you know, I mean, I can imagine it could you know, depending on the person. I mean, some people thrive in that kind of environment. You know, like yeah, like Amish people, I guess, would be a, yeah a similar comparison. Obviously, not the exact same, but and they seemingly do just fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's definitely a mix of nature and nurture. You know, if you talk to anyone who knows anything about psychology, they'll say it's nature and nurture. And that's definitely clearly the case with Israel Keys. Yeah, I agree. So they were living in Colville and they actually began attending two different churches. One was the Ark, which I guess is a church. I don't really know. I could have done more research into it, but there were more important things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then the other one was the Christian Israel Covenant Church, and this actually was a church that practiced white supremacist Christian identity ideology, according to an article. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't either. That's intense. Um, But it definitely was a supremacist-focused church, it seems like, and at least this one that they attended in Washington. And Israel Keys later described this church to be, quote, militia-like and Amish. Oh. Okay. Very interesting. So while living in Colville, Israel also became friends with his neighbors. And this included Chevy Kehoe. And I 
might be saying that wrong. I probably am. <laughs> I tried to look it up. I tried so hard and I couldn't find it. So I did my best. That's fine. This man is a convicted murderer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're just going to go on a little tangent background on Kehoe. Okay. So he was only five years older than Israel Keys. So, you know, kids playing in the neighborhood think like they were friends. Yeah. In 1996, he killed a family named the Muellers in Tilly, Arkansas. A whole family? Oh, my word. A whole family. It was three people, but the whole family. That's crazy. So Kehoe and an accomplice raided the Muellers' home in January 1996, and the family wasn't there, so they waited for the family to return. And when they did, he, well, both of them, restrained William and Nancy Mueller, the parents, and then questioned their daughter, eight-year-old Sarah Elizabeth Mueller, about where they could find the family's cash and guns and ammunition. Jeez. So she was able to tell them, I guess, and they found it, and then they shot all three with stun guns, rendering them unconscious. They then placed plastic bags over their heads, leading them to suffocate to death. That is horrendous. I know. So Kehoe and his accomplice disposed of their bodies in a nearby lake, and the bodies actually weren't discovered until six months later. So they were on the run for a little while, but finally, after the bodies were discovered, they were captured, and they were both convicted of the murders in 1999. Six months? Yeah. What? How? Because it was so... Well, first of all, they disposed of the bodies in a lake. And so they mm. weren't found. I think, like, a, somebody that was fishing found the bodies. So until then, they weren't found. So nobody even okay. knew. And there was, you know, this was the 90s. So not really a lot of, like, evidence and DNA testing and stuff like that was happening. So they just didn't have anything to go off of. But then once they found the bodies, they were able to to capture them. Okay. So they knew they were missing. They just didn't actually find the bodies until six months later. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> so Kehoe's accomplice is allegedly the one who actually did the killing, and he was actually sentenced to death, and he was executed on July 14th, 2020. Wow. Kehoe is serving life in prison, and he is currently being held at a very high security prison in Kentucky. So anyway, back to the 1980s. Israel Keys lived next door to the Kehoes. So he was next door to these people and he actually became friends with them. And I just, I never knew this before. Like in all the, the research I've done until now, I had never heard this, but I think it's super interesting that he was like friends with, you know, this family where multiple of them turned out to be nasty criminals you know yeah. chevy kehoe did this but then one of his brothers was also a criminal that was on the run with chevy after the murders wow. so you know definitely not the best family and i i have to wonder if this influenced him in any way this you I'm know sure at the time this boy was just five years older than him so they could have been you know running around doing things and yeah that could be where he got his first taste of whatever mm -hmm. you know Definitely. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 
And growing up, Israel did show some telltale signs of, you know, what is known as like psychopathic behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would break into neighbors' homes and steal guns, which obviously that that in and of itself isn't. But knowing what we know now, it definitely could indicate that. And he was also known to torture animals. So that Mm -hmm. is like the telltale psychopath, sociopath. Like exactly. Yep. Not going to turn out so great. Yep. Yeah. So by the time Keyes was a teenager, he actually renounced his Christian faith and he eventually started showing interest in Satanism. So he was kind of starting as he got older, spiraling into a dark place. Yeah. In the late 1990s, the Keyes family actually moved to Maupin, Oregon, and then they later moved to Maine, where they lived near an Amish community. So they were kind of living that life, and eventually they did move to Maine and were living, I don't think they were in the Amish community, but like right right nearby, it kind of looks like they, they were kind of living that life. Okay. When Keyes was 20 years old, he joined the U.S. Army. And he actually served from 1998 to 2001. And the face that is making right now, <laughs> so accurate. That's not the way to go if you're no. like that. <laughs> no. And so he was actually stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington, Fort Hood, Texas. And he was also in Egypt for some time. And in the army, he was known to have a quiet demeanor. And a lot of people said that he kind of had a habit of keeping to himself. Which is pretty on par for a psychopath or a sociopath, I feel like. Definitely. He would reportedly drink heavily on the weekends, but then during the week, you know, he was serious. He would do his job. One thing that I thought was interesting is he would display posters of his favorite hip-hop duo called Insane Clown Posse in the barracks. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like, he's known as being, like, quiet and keeping himself, but then he had, like, posters of These his These ICP posters. <laughs> which if you know anything about that that duo they're they're pretty out there clearly i don't they uh promote violence i guess you could say i don't know there's like a whole i don't even want to say like i guess kind of like a cult following for them oh okay Um, i didn't know that yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty intense they're they're it's it's comical i think it's mostly in in a comic fashion but okay they i think a lot of people misconstrue um like their followers or fans misconstrue oh, some of the stuff. So interesting. Okay, they get kind of a um, a bad rap, which okay, I think they bring on themselves. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an interesting right, lifestyle. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well that's good to know, and that definitely brings more color to that. Okay, so he was honorably discharged in two thousand and one, and he moved to the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State. And he was living in the Maka Reservation community of Nia Bay. When Keyes had been deployed in Fort Lewis, he actually met a woman and they started dating. And they ended up having a daughter together. And after he was discharged, he was living in the reservation in Washington with them. He was known to be a responsible father to his daughter. And one of his former co-workers even said that he would like brag about his daughter at work and that he was, quote, a loving dad, a doting father. I mean, that's great, but wow, that's surprising yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So eventually, the couple actually broke up, and Keyes moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 2007. 
And he was now with a new girlfriend, and he was living in Anchorage with this new girlfriend and his daughter. So I don't know if the daughter, like, had split custody time or what, but he was living with his daughter in Anchorage. Hmm, That's interesting, too. Yeah. He had his own construction business there. It was called Keys Construction, and he worked as a handyman, a contractor, and just a general construction worker in the surrounding area. So that was what he was doing for work and he was you know just living and working there with his daughter and his girlfriend that seemed like a normal life yeah that does seem very normal but i knowing what i know and probably this is why it's a red flag the fact that he moves around so much yeah you know it's like every time (laughs) i know so he the only trouble that he ever had with the law was one dui while in the army Other than that, no record, no arrests, nothing until, of course, you know, the murder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, his whole life, no arrests, nothing. Wow. That means he was good. (laughs) Yeah. That's what makes him so fucking scary. I know. Terrifying. He is. He's one of the the more terrifying, I think, of any of them. I agree. Okay. So we're going to now shift a little bit, and we're going to talk about Samantha Koenig. So Samantha was 18 years old, and she was living in Anchorage, Alaska in February 2012, and she was a barista working at the Common Grounds coffee stand in downtown Anchorage, and this was like a little coffee stand on the sidewalk, basically. I'll post a photo of it on our Instagram so you can see it, but just kind of picture this like, you know, little tiny roadside coffee stand. Like a little kiosk type thing. Exactly. Okay. On February 1st, 2012, she was finishing up her shift in the evening around 8 p.m. when a man approached the coffee stand. And there's actually security footage from inside the coffee stand that showed what happened. So she was getting ready for close, you know, closing. Well, I can't talk today. She was getting ready to close the shop and a masked man walked up to the window and she went to the window from the inside and handed the man his coffee order but then she started backing up and like raising her arms up likely because you know this man was pointing like a gun at her right so when investigators saw this footage they initially thought it was a robbery they were like you know this man was robbing robbing the the coffee shop but then they saw samantha turn off the lights probably because the man told her to Mm -hmm. and then the man jumped into the coffee cart through the window Mm. so because the lights were off when authorities first looked at this all they could really see was that you know there was a little bit of like sort of a struggle ish inside and then samantha and the masked man walked away but we found out later that the man actually tied samantha's hands together with zip ties and then forced her out of the coffee stand Mm. obviously this man was Israel Keys. So Samantha's boyfriend got to the coffee stand to pick her up that night from work when he saw that she wasn't there and he was really confused because she didn't have her car. He was going to be picking her up. Right. And he then received a really weird text message from Samantha saying, quote, hey, I'm spending a couple of days with friends. Let my dad know. And this was not normal for Samantha. You know, they, she would not have done something like this, and they'd been dating for nine months, and her boyfriend felt like he knew her well enough to knew, to know that, like, 
She wouldn't randomly do she this. She wouldn't just text him that, yeah. Exactly. So he went to Samantha's dad and told him what was going on, and he immediately reported her missing. Keys later told police what happened that day, and so I'm going to go through that, but just keep in mind, we didn't find this out until later. Much later, yeah. So he said that he was planning to take her away in her car, but he realized, you know, she didn't have a car there, so he attempted to force her into his car, and Samantha actually tried to escape, and she got away for a minute and was, like, running away, screaming for help. Wow. But unfortunately, Keys caught up to her, tackled her to the ground, and put a gun to her head. Mm-hmm. So he forced her into his car with the gun to her head, and he said that he would kill her if she tried to escape again. He said that he drove Samantha around town, and he was basically telling her that this was just a kidnapping for ransom, and that if she cooperated, she'd be returned to her family unharmed. Later, we find out that wasn't the truth, but that's what he was telling her. So he realized that he needed her cell phone to, you know, send ransom information, basically, and she had left it at the coffee shop. So he actually drove back to the coffee cart, went inside, (sighs) and got the phone. Wow. But still, no one saw him. That's crazy. Well, yeah, because no one knew anything was awry at that point. So, but still, ballsy. Yeah. Because, like, somebody could have saw, and somebody could have called the police, and he's just, like, moseying on back there, like, I don't give a fuck. Wow. Yep. So, he obviously is the one that sent this weird text to her boyfriend, and he Mm -hmm. then took Samantha back to his property, where he brought her into a shed in the back and tied her up. He left her in there with the radio blaring, so no one could hear cries for help. I hate that. I know. And then the next thing that happened just freaking kills me because, well, you'll see. So, Keys needed Samantha's debit card because his plan was to get the ransom by withdrawing it from her debit account. Okay. So, he demanded her to give him her PIN number and her address, and he headed to her house. And the card was actually in her boyfriend's truck, and when he got to the house, her boyfriend was actually there. And he saw Keys breaking into his car, like, ran outside and, like, confronted him for a hot second and then ran inside to get help. Oh, my And gosh. while he ran inside, Keys fled the scene. So, at the wow. time, her boyfriend just thought that this was a random burglary and he wouldn't find out until later that this was the man who had taken Samantha. That's, that's crazy. Right? Like, if he like, had he's been so caught, close. Yes. I know. Oh, my gosh. And at this point, Samantha is still alive. So they could if have he'd found been her, caught yeah. then, yeah. But that's not what happened. And he got away with Samantha's debit card. And he actually went and tested the PIN number. And then he figured out that he had everything he needed from her. Dang. When he returned to his property, according to keys himself he poured himself a glass of wine and then sexually assaulted samantha and then he strangled her to death leaving her out in the shed wow that's awful yeah when he was done he went back inside the house and like i mentioned earlier he was living there with his girlfriend and his daughter so he was went back in the house and he began packing up for a cruise that he had planned in new orleans oh okay So cash. Yeah. 
he said that he woke his daughter up for school and then left for the airport. And he was gone for about two weeks and Samantha's body was just sitting, freezing in that shed. And this next part is so fucking sick. So just trigger warning. Um, It's just sick. If you want to skip ahead like 60 seconds, you might want to do that now. Okay. So he's returned to Anchorage on February 17th, 2012. And he removed Samantha's body from the shed. He then applied makeup to her face and sewed her eyes open with a fishing line to make it look like she was alive. Oh, yeah. I remember this part. Yeah. So it was so cold, obviously, February in Alaska. So her body had basically been frozen and didn't show any signs of decomposition. So even though she had been dead for two weeks, she didn't look like it. Yeah. Keys then took a photo of her, quote-unquote, holding up that day's newspaper, and it really did look like she was alive in the photo. And I will post the photo on our Instagram. If you didn't know that this is what happened, it just looks like a ransom photo. Um, But just a warning, very unsettling, especially knowing what what he did. That she's deceased, yeah. I've seen the photo, and it is. It's very, it's creepy, and it's very, um, I don't know just yeah it's eerie yeah because you can't i mean you can't tell you really can't i remember crime junkie did um an episode on israel keys and i'm pretty sure ashley flowers like showed brit the photo before saying that she was dead in it and brit later found out that she was dead and she was like what the hell like no (sighs) no so yeah yeah it's really creepy so keys had this photo He then typed up a ransom note demanding $30,000 be deposited into Samantha's debit account. He then put the note and photo at a nearby park. He pinned it to a bulletin board under a memorial flyer of a dog named Albert. Keys then left the park and then texted Samantha's boyfriend from her phone. And the text said, Connor Park, sign under pick of Albert, ain't she purty? And like P-U-R-T-Y. Like, yeah knowing that she's yeah Mm -hmm. wow yeah so obviously her boyfriend and father went to the park found the ransom note in the photo and they believed that samantha was still alive Mm -hmm. the thirty thousand dollar ransom was actually donated by members of the community to the koenig family and samantha's dad began depositing it into her account wow After placing the photo and the ransom note in the park, Keyes didn't really have a need for Samantha's body anymore, so he drove to the Matanuska Lake, I think that's how you say it, and he built a little, like, ice fishing shelter, which is totally normal if you're ice fishing. Yeah. But he was, you know, completely enclosed, and he dismembered her body, cut a hole in the ice, and dumped her remains in the lake. Ugh. Yeah. So... The money was being deposited into Samantha's debit account, and just a few hours after the first $5,000 was deposited into her account, a man made a withdrawal from an ATM in the lower 48 using her debit card. And I wrote that, but then I also realized that some people might not be aware of what that terminology means, but it means like the, the mainland US, there's Alaska and Hawaii, and then the lower 48. Um, so he was, he was no longer in Alaska. Interesting. So he like did that and then got and the then hell left. out of Dodge, mm-hmm. which is a, not a quick trip. So no, 
And I don't know if he had it planned. If he I'm had sure that plan. Yeah, I thought so too. To do that. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a camera on this ATM and I'll post the photo that was captured from it, but the man was covering his face, so you couldn't really see anything, and he also had gloves on, so they couldn't get any fingerprints or anything. Yeah. But obviously, when they saw this, police rushed to the ATM, and they missed him by just minutes. Wow. A week later, another withdrawal was made from an ATM 4,000 miles away in Wilcox, Arizona. Dang. Yeah. After that, more withdrawals were made in Lordsburg, New Mexico, Humble, Texas, and Shepherd, Texas. So police were basically able to determine that this man was going east. He was making a very clear path. But yeah. they weren't able to capture him because he can't narrow. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. And he always had that disguise on. But eventually, they were able to determine that the man was driving a white Ford Focus. It was seen in the background of one of the security photos from the ATMs. So he made a mistake and the car was seen and they were able to determine at least the type of car he was driving. They finally had something. So a bulletin about the car is put out. And on March 13th, 2012, a state trooper in Texas noticed the vehicle matching or a vehicle matching the description sitting in the parking lot of a Cotton Patch Cafe in Lufkin, Texas. So Texas Highway Patrol Corporal Brian Henry and Texas Ranger Stephen Rayburn watched the car, and when the man came out and got in the car and drove away, they started following it. As soon as the vehicle went over the speed limit, like the second it went over the speed limit, they pulled it over. And so at first, this was a normal traffic stop, with a suspicious car and they asked for the driver's id the man handed over an alaska driver's license with the name israel keys Mm. so they didn't know this man at all but they did a search of the car and they found a ski mask and clothing matching the atm videos they also found a gun and then they found samantha's phone and her debit card in his car Wow. Yeah. So they quickly arrested Keys for Samantha's abduction, but they didn't know where Samantha was. Right. So he was arrested. I couldn't tell if he was arrested for her abduction or just on fraud charges, but it wasn't on murder. He was, but he was able to be arrested. He was then extradited back to Anchorage where he was interviewed by police. Then he actually went and confessed he told them that they shouldn't expect samantha to come home because she had been dead for weeks what an asshole i know and he like straight up told them this is where you can find her body and police went to that lake and were able to recover all of her body well yeah it's terrible but you know, at least they were able to recover yeah. it so she could properly be laid to rest. At least he confessed and he didn't, like, you know, bullshit and beat around the bush like a lot of criminals and murderers yeah. do. Yeah. And I think it took a little while for him to actually confess, but he did. And he yeah. he told them that whole story. Like, most of, you know, as soon as they left the little coffee shop, we didn't see anything on camera. So that right. whole, all of those details about what happened all came from him from him confessing so thankfully like i said she was able to be laid to rest 
And during this confession, Keyes told police why he chose Samantha. You know, they were trying to figure out what, how, how did this man that abducted her, did, did he know her? Was it random? Right. They found out that it was completely random. Mm-hmm. He had just decided that he wanted to kill somebody and decided that a coffee shop like that would be a good place to abduct somebody. And he actually drove around to multiple coffee shops looking for the best one and just picked this one. That's that's scary. Yeah. And he also told police that this was not his first crime. Hmm. And what they learned about this monster was just horrific. But that's where we'll pick up with part two. Yeah. I'm, there, I'm sure their jaws, like, hit the floor. <laughs> yeah. Because they had, they hadn't even, this man was not on any radar right. at all. Yeah. And had he not made that mistake of the car being seen, he may have never been caught because they knew nothing about him. And he would have went on to kill more and more and more and more people. Yeah. So, you know, they, as horrific and terrible as Samantha's murder is, thank God that he made that mistake because who knows how many more people he would have killed. And we don't know how many people he killed. Like, yeah. there's estimates, but we, we don't know. Like, we don't have an answer. And the, it's, there's, like, like you were saying, there's no real way to, like, connect them because, like I was saying, he moved around so much that yeah, it pretty much made it impossible. I mean, yeah, it, there was no way to, and like you said at the beginning, he had no real MO, and as you'll right. find out, like, he didn't have a typical, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like, way that he would kill people. There wasn't right. a victim profile, nothing. So there's no way to even be like, oh, well, this one we can probably connect because it was the same type of murder or the same right. type of victim. Like, there's just no way to know. And he just liked to kill. He just liked to kill. Yeah. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. I know that this part was a little bit on the shorter side and the second part will probably be more on the longer side because (laughs) there are people who have like tracked his movements and I'm going to cover all of that, but this was a good stopping point. So part one and two might not be even, but you guys (laughs) are in for a deep dive on Thursday's episode because it's, uh, it's crazy. And like I said... This is the serial killer. Like, when people say, like, who's your favorite serial killer? I don't like that question because I don't have a favorite. It's like the favorite favorite. is not the right word. Yeah. Like, who's the most interesting serial killer, I guess, would be a better way to ask that question. But Exactly. But but he is mine. He is the one that I'm the most disgusted by and, like, but, like, fascinated by because of all of this, of not knowing and not being able to determine, like, the How psychology doesn't make sense yeah no it doesn't so it is just crazy um but i am excited to dive into that with you guys on thursday but i hope that you guys found this as interesting as i do um i will as always post photos on instagram i you know said during the episode some of the ones that i'll be posting over there and um of course like let's remember samantha because Although this is an overall episode about Israel Keys, Samantha is the victim in this story, 
at least in this part, and she deserves her name to be out there. It was really frustrating, actually, because when I was trying to find details about it, I was searching her name, and it was only about Israel Keys, which, like, obviously, mm-hmm. because he's her murderer, but I couldn't, e- there wasn't even a Wikipedia article that was just about Samantha. It was about yeah. Israel Keys, and, you know, of course, he's the murderer, and he's a notorious serial killer, but that doesn't mean that we should forget the victims at all. So yeah, remember her name. I will of course share her beautiful photo and um, oh, yeah, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. But that is all we have for today's episode. If you guys love our podcast, we would love for you to leave a rating and review. We're almost at 400 on Apple and we're almost at 150 on Spotify. So we love you guys so, so much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Um, And if you guys have case suggestions or listener stories, you can always submit those through our website, inhumanpodcast.com. But that's all I have for you guys. I will see you on Thursday. We will see you on Thursday with part two of Israel Keys. And until then, keep it human. Bye. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.